What's going on, guys? John Chandler with Forever Contender coming at you with instant reaction for UFC 279, which ended about an hour ago in Las Vegas. <laughs> it's crazy to say Nate Diaz goes out on the final fight of his UFC contract with a win. Did anybody honestly think that that was going to be the case? Did anybody honestly think that there was a remote possibility of that, you know, three days ago, two, three days ago? Uh, obviously, we had the, we had the change, uh, a change for the better, in my opinion. Um, you know, a, a chance for Nate to go out his last fight against a fellow OG, you know what I mean, of, of the UFC, a guy that's been around, a guy that has a... a a fight style that he can appreciate in Tony Ferguson. Um, but just a crazy turn of events. It's crazy how the universe works and how this kind of stuff happens and how everything ultimately shakes out. Um, so if you haven't heard already, Nate Diaz, victorious again in the, on the final fight of his UFC deal, he submits Tony Ferguson in the fourth round uh, via a guillotine choke. It was a back-and-forth fight. I think it was a much different main event than we all expected. Um, obviously, we all kind of all expected Kamzat to, you know, run through Nate, force Nate to kind of go out on the shield in his last appearance. Uh, thankfully, that wasn't the case. Uh, but this fight was a, a much different, uh, much different fight than we expected. Uh, Tony had a lot of success with his low kicks. Uh, Nate had a lot of success with weaking punches. Uh, Tony had a strong first round. Tony took control of the fight early. Uh, he early and often decided to employ low kicks, which were a theme throughout the fight. Nate's leg was destroyed <laughs> by the, you know, the start of the third round uh, and on. It, it's amazing that he continued to take, you know, take the low kicks and, you know, the, the leg just held up barely, it looked like, uh, you know, and allowed him to, to win the fight. Um, but, you know, Tony definitely took the first round. I would give Nate the second round. He certainly bounced back to take the second uh, came on strong, and that's kind of when we saw Tony begin to fade. Um, it definitely would have scored at 19-19 after two rounds. Uh, it, both of them, both of them had damage to their shins. Obviously, you know Nate was eating a ton of low kicks. Uh, Tony Ferguson, it seems like he had a maybe had a pre-existing injury coming into this. Uh, in the first round, early on in the first round, he threw a low kick that Nate checked, and immediately Tony's shin just blew open. Uh, it was gushing blood. Blood was just literally just pouring down to the point that it was, uh, you know, pouring over his foot and onto the mat. It was uh, crazy to see. Um, it, you know, something, when something like that happens so quickly in a fight, uh, you know, just from checking a single kick, it seems to me he probably was a, you know, an old cut he probably suffered during training camp that opened up. Uh, it didn't seem to hamper him that much, you know, during the fight, but, you know, he definitely <coughs> caught him looking down a few times just to, you know, keeping an eye on it um the third round may have been the weirdest round of all time um nate took multiple breaks and referee mark goddard had to urge him to keep fighting I, i'm not sure if this was nate showing frustration i'm not sure if he was playing games because this might end up being his last fight in the ufc but either way it's not something that we've really seen before we saw his brother nick you know lay down for a moment uh against anderson silva um you know, but this was Nate leaning up against the cage, putting his, his, his arm up against the cage, you know, leaning over, talking to Dana White, 
um, you know, walking around the, the octagon, and which just looked like disgust, you know, shaking his head. I almost thought that, you know, I was curious to see during that exchange, I didn't know what the hell was going on at first, but I was curious to see if Mark Goddard was going to wave off the fight because at first glance, it seemed like Diaz was just saying, no, I'm done. No, I'm done. And it, and it just so happened to happen after, uh, you know, he ate uh, probably two, three consecutive, you know, super strong low kicks from Tony Ferguson to the point that they were clearly affecting him. Um, you know, it's Napey and Nate. It's Napey and Nate. Uh, with that said, you know, I had a 29-28 Nate after three. Uh, he had Tony from on his bike most of the third round, running away from strikes. Tony was clearly hurt. Uh, he was dealing with, you know, eating shots to the head, to the body. You know, obviously he had the shin issue. Uh, and Nate just carried that momentum into the fourth round. Uh, and then ultimately, like I said, uh, submitted Tony in the, in the fourth round with a guillotine. It was a super tight choke. Uh, Nate slapped it on very quickly and tightened it up very quickly to the point that he had his right hand wrapped up to the back of Tony's neck. Tony's Both of Tony's hands were at his side. They had, there was no no chance that he was going to be able to break you know the grip of the choke. Uh, you know, he ultimately tapped. Um, I, I do wonder if Tony came into this fight with a little too much reverence for Nate. Uh, obviously, you know what I mean. Tony did did his thing on social media. You know, during the the super short you know fight week that they had, uh, but he also you know made it a point to kind of you know show Nate a lot of respect. Was a lot you know much more friendly with Nate than he normally would be with his opponents. Um, and he displayed that throughout the fight. You know, there was a, I think there was a point in, in after the second round when Nate, you know, started you know talking shit, and you know Tony kind of you know gave him the the, the, the prayer sign, you know, and maybe in an attempt to get him to calm down. Um, he, he displayed it throughout the fight. Uh, you know, th- that respect. I do wonder if that was a factor. Ultimately, I do wonder if that was something that was in Tony's head. That you know, Nate, Nate's a guy I really respect. He's a guy I really like. He's a guy that you know I never foresaw myself fighting just because of the you know the way the, the politics and the UFC work um, I'd be curious to see if they ask him that in the, in the post fight press conference we'll see uh, Nate after the fight I was very very interested to see what he was going to say obviously win or lose they were going to give him an interview as you know they typically do in his fights um, Nate was all class <laughs> you know what I mean he could have bashed the UFC he could have ripped Dana and he did you know, to to a certain degree, uh, but he held back, and you know, he thanked them, he thanked Lorenzo Fatita, he thanked Connor Campbell. Uh, didn't mention, you know, Joe Silva. Uh, kind of surprising, but anyway, um, you know, thank them for giving him the opportunity, the platform, um, you know, to grow his brand, to accomplish what he did with the promotion. Um, you know, th- the smart move, in my opinion, uh, by Nate Diaz. Uh, it, he's not burning the bridge. And I think it's clear that, you know, he's moving on to other business ventures. He said so himself, you know, during the, uh, his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan. You know, he said he's kind of moving on to other, taking a break from the UFC, moving on to other combat sports for now, whether it's boxing, kickboxing, uh, you know, grappling events were, you know, the three things that he mentioned. Uh, I do think that, it, you know, at this time next year, uh, we're going to be talking about him boxing Jake Paul. If it, you know, if it doesn't happen next summer, I think it might happen, you know, late next year. Obviously, we'll see what happens with Jake Paul and Anderson Silva at the end of October. He's got his hands full with Anderson there, uh, you know. But I think there's too much money to be made, too much money on the table 
uh, you know, for Nate not to explore the possibility of, of fighting Jake Paul. Um, but I, you know, I do think that's what's going to happen next. I do think that the UFC and Dana will make an attempt to kind of, you know, see if Nate would be interested in coming back. Nate would be, you know, an idiot not to entertain that. Obviously, they're going to throw, you know, a number at him to make him think twice. Um, but I do think that Nate's going to, you know, explore free agency. Obviously, he just started his own promotion himself, and he's it's going to take up a good amount of his time uh, coming up. So I think Nate's going to see what's out there for a little bit. Obviously, there's money to be made outside of the UFC. You know, a lot of these guys that have entered boxing and, you know, have signed the contracts with, you know, Bellator and Warren, um, there's money to be made outside the UFC, and I think he wants a part of it. So we'll, we'll see how that goes for Nate. Moving on to the co-main event. Kamzat Chemaev is a scary, scary motherfucker. Um, it's not that Kevin Holland is, uh, you know, by any means a bad fighter, by any means uh, not a competent middleweight. It's just that there are levels to this game, and the level that Kamzat might be on compared to everybody else is pretty scary to think about. Uh, he started the fight with the quickest, fiercest takedown sequence I've ever seen. Um, you know, he just outmuscled Kevin Holland and <laughs> literally had his way with him, uh, you know, before he ultimately submitted him with a dark choke. I, I think the stoppage was a little over two minutes into the into the first round. Um, what do you say about Kanzat? I mean, he he comes with such an aggression that I sometimes I think that he's gonna he's gonna get he leaves himself open because he's too aggressive I think eventually somebody's gonna catch him with something but uh, you know he's aggressive to the point that you know all you can really do is play defense against him because if you don't you're just gonna end up flat on your back with him pounding away at you uh, Kevin Holland did a great job of, of defending for a while he showed solid defense on the ground uh, you know the comms out was ultimately too much he just kept trying that dart choke over and over and over again until he finally locked it in. Um, you know, he stayed in position the entire time. That's what Joe Rogan mentioned in the broadcast. Is that instead of, you know, adjusting to you know the fact that Kevin Holland kept getting out of the choke, he stayed in position and just kept trying it over and over and over again because he knew, you know, he had the strength advantage, uh, and eventually he was able to lock it in and you know got it tight enough that it forced Kevin Holland to tap. Uh, Post-fight interview, man, I, that was kind of cringe in my book. I know that Kamzat loves to play the heel, um, but it's pretty cringeworthy in my opinion. And you know, Henry Cejudo is, you know, he says he's coming back, but he's, he may have entered the re-entered the USADA pool, but he's still, you know, retired technically. Um, could Kamzat claim the new title? You know, the title of the new king of cringe? Um, I, you know. I think the guy's just trying a little too hard. I get, I get it. You know what I mean. I get the excitement, um, but you know that post-fight interview was pretty, was pretty awful. Um, what's next for Kamzat? I, I guess it depends on what weight he fights at. Um, I think if you know if he can somehow make 170 again, I don't even know if that's going to be possible after you know you, you miss 170 by eight and a half pounds. Um, obviously, you're going to have to deal with you know the state of Nevada, the commission, um, most likely making the recommendation at the next meeting that he has to move up to middleweight. Um, you know, California is certainly going to follow along, uh, and 
you know, most likely from watching from afar, I'd be I'd be shocked if uh, if Brian Foster didn't you know mention at their next meeting that you know Chimaev was to fight in California in the future, which you know it's it's likely, um, and he's probably going to have to fight at 185 pounds now. So far in the UFC, he's been kind of going back and forth, um, but you know we all know he wants a belt, and he wants more than one belt. He's going to have to stick to a weight, a single weight class. To, to be able to get a title shot because at this point he's climbing the ladder he's climbing the ladder but if he's going to be bouncing back and forth between divisions he's going to be he's going to keep getting these gatekeepers um you know what i mean until ultimately he's, he's able to stick to a weight because that's what the ufc prefers it's kind of how they work um you know if he if he's able to make 170 again colby covington makes too much sense um i know that there's you know this feeling out there that maybe Colby doesn't want to fight, you know, he hasn't said otherwise. He hasn't said yes in an outright, um, you know. So we'll wait and see. Obviously, you know, what I mean, both guys can have their say, but ultimately, it's the UFC that's going to make that call. Uh, if it's 185 pounds that they're going to make him move up to because of the weight miss, uh, that'll be interesting to see who they pair him up with. Um, obviously, he's fought at middleweight before. But I do wonder, would they, you know, would they give him a contender uh, rather than, you know, a not going to give him a direct title shot, obviously against Izzy, and Izzy, uh, you know, has the whole storyline with Alex Pereira that's going to have to play out. Um, but would they give, would they give Kamzat, say, like a, a Jared Cannonier or a Marvin Vittori, a Derek Brunson, Apollo Costa? To kind of uh, you know break him in with a with a, another contender at one eighty five, kind of like they did with you know Gilbert Burns at one seventy, or um, you know one of the one idea I think obviously because you know Robert Whitaker, he's only one fight <coughs> one fight off from losing to Adesanya, uh, you know would Robert Whitaker and Kamzat Shemaev make sense? That's <laughs> That would be a hell of a fight. I'd be very interested interested to see uh, how Robert Whitaker deals with Kamzat's wrestling, considering that Robert Whitaker is you know somewhat of an accomplished wrestler himself, almost representative represented Australia in the Commonwealth Games, I believe. Uh, it, not the Olympics, but it was uh, one of the events that if you win, you qualify to to go to the Olympics. Um, but I believe he had to stop, you know, because he was either champion or was getting close to becoming middleweight champion at the time. Um, so that would be a good fight, and I'd be interested to see if that is what happens next. Um, and that about wraps it up. I just wanted to talk about the two top two fights in the main card. Obviously, uh, you know, the rest of the card was entertaining, a lot to discuss, a lot to touch on. I will be back with a post-fight notebook on Monday. Uh, be sure to check it out, and I will talk to you guys soon. Have a good one. Thanks for listening.